0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra. come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 19th of April and the year is 2021. Yesterday, I began a um, lecture that's going to be followed by at least two more, this being the second one, on a discussion of the immune system as a, an event that occurs throughout human ontogeny, and then ultimately develops into the complete physiology and pathophysiology that will result in morbidity and mortality in the human. Now, you might think that this is, of course, going to be affected by external um, stress, such as pathogens, and of course, abiotic stress, and that is included in the immune response because the immune response will be surveilling and will respond to uh, whatever kinds of biotic or abiotic events occur. This will leave an imprint on various aspects of gene expression throughout the body that will be organ-specific and even cell-specific. There'll be some memory, obviously, and there will be some carryover Of uh, these kinds of epigenetic events, at least through cell division. Um, But the key feature here is that the genetic function is altered because of the immune interaction with the environment within the host, which is the human. And when this occurs, a tripartite reorganization or redistribution of genetic expression patterns occurs in a manner that is associated with those alterations to gene expression that are linked to methylation, acetylation patterns, both on chromatin. And I should add, I didn't last time, that covalent modification of enzymes, such as what can be Uh, provided for by phosphorylation cascades, acetylation, methylation, etc., which also occurs on proteins, not just those proteins linked to chromatin like histones. But all of these also can ultimately play back into alterations in gene expression by altering transcription factor activity, if indeed the transcription factors have been covalently modified thus leading to finally changes in chromatin, uh, such as uh, covalent modification of uh, histones, particularly lysine residues and histones, and also in cytosine residues uh, and CPG islands associated with enhancer elements or promoter elements of certain genes, which can be yet the expression of new transcription factors or growth factors or signaling molecules that are secreted, such as chemokines and cytokines. All of this, then, we can play into an alteration of gene expression that can work at the level of microRNA and also at the level of uh, transcription patterns associated with the chromatin being rearranged because of those covalent modifications I've been mentioning. So I want you to uh, keep that in mind. So today I'm going to continue on this discussion about the immune system. I'm going to hopefully convince you that the immune system is constantly reorganizing the cell in multiple ways, some of which do leave an imprint. So neuroinflammatory mediators can play a really significant and even critical role in pathophysiology for example, in brain ischemia. And when that occurs, these mediators, such as cytokines, can exert either a deleterious effect, such as causing <clears throat> necrosis or degeneration of, for example, neurons. But that occurs also under the larger framework of a progression of beneficial uh amelioration of a progression of tissue damage. It can be stopped because of these neuroinflammatory mediators. So you can have then both damage to a system because of the immune response, and of course you can have remodeling of the system or cellular bed because of the immune response. And this also includes uh, biogenesis of new cells. This happens all the time in solid organs where you have uh, usually the production of fibrocytes to replace solid organ cells. And this can at least prevent leakage of the tissue and for a while procure its functional activity. It's only when you get an inflammation of those fibrocytes and get fibrosis and indeed, because these fibrocytes do not function as the cells in which they were placed, start losing the function of the organ, for example, the liver or the kidney or the heart muscle. And when this occurs, obviously, um, then you lose that function, and that can be part of the morbidity, you see. So remember about this immune system you have two arms, you have the innate. Which is usually considered non specific, I would say more like, um, I wouldn't call it non specific. I would say that its major character is in specificity, but it does have an accuracy component. Um, and because of that, I wanna make sure that you understand that innate immune cells, especially the ones that become antigen presenting cells, Do become very specific mediators of the immune response. In the innate system, you have cellular components and you have humoral components, and then the adaptive, which is classically called the specific, and those includes include the lymphocytes, the T cells, and the B cells. This is usually considered to be uh, a subsequent or secondary line of defense, and it can work because of memory cell production to protect any future exposure to stressors. And these can be biotic and abiotic, as I've mentioned. Now, the adaptive immune response also has cellular components and humoral components. So both of them can play roles either in circulation or within tissue systems. Remember that the immune system has the myeloid lineage, which I talked about just yesterday. And I'll give you a little bit more detail about that. I'll become more granular with it. And of course, that is a pun because myeloid cells will generate granulocytic and monocytic pathways. The granulocytes uh, call that because they have granules, which are filled with peptides and other organic molecules, which can, upon stimulation, secrete from the granulocyte. Granulocytes include neutrophils, basophils, and eosinophils whereas the monocytic myeloid lineage are your macrophages and, for example, Kupfer cells. Uh, so that's another very important component, right? And indeed, mac- and the macrophage lineage is distributed all over the body as well as it's in circulation. Lymphoid cells, as we mentioned before, include T-cells, B-cells, and natural killer cells. B-cells ultimately can become plasma cells, and the T-cells can become Uh, T-effector or T-helper cells, that's the TH lineage. You also have the T-regulatory and you have the cytotoxic T-lymphocytes as well, the CTLs. So um, you can now see how you're getting a more florid um, subclassification. And we haven't really even gotten started in that process. Now, you know that we've talked about uh, lymphoidogenesis and we talked a lot about the different kinds of lymphoid cells. Remember that you start off In the thymus, and uh, the thymus is where self is um, recognized, and any thymocytes that function against self are eliminated by programmed cell death. But after a series of these um, these uh, elimination phenomena, you do generate two major classes of T cells: the CD4 positive and the CD8 positive, and there can be dual positive, or they can be monopositive for either one of those cell surface um, key biomarkers. So the CD4 lineage, of course, is going to give you the Th1 and Th2 cells. CD8 lineage is going to give you the cytotoxic T lymphocytes as their ultimate um, subclassification products of that cell lineages. Now, the B cell, of course, can be converted to a plasma cell. The plasma cell will be the cell that's in circulation that gives you uh, those glycoproteins known as immunoglobulins or antibodies. And and those antibodies then will, of course, bind to, with the help of complement antigen or, in fact, uh, bacterial fragments, uh, cellular fragments, and then even engulf entire uh, bacterial cells and carry out part of that. Immune degradation po- uh, process. Um, you also, in the lymphoid line, have pre T cells, and some of those can become NKs or just plantal natural killer cells. We already talked about the myeloid cell lineage quite a bit. Remember that some of those actually can become platelets and erythrocytes, and I already gave you the uh, nomenclature for the um, more common innate immune cells. Phagocytes, uh, such as PMNs, can enter into um, organs or through a plasma membrane through a process called diapodesis. Diapodesis requires an activation of these phagocytes and includes both, um, uh, two two possibilities of activation include histamine and thrombin, and that activation can be elicited by an inflammatory response subcellularly, and this can also, uh, uh, diapedesis can also be uh, rendered positively affected by chemotaxis. And this includes a, couple, uh, a lipid known as leukotriene D4. There's also C5A. And there's, of course, N-formylmethionine. All of those uh, factors can induce the chemotactic response generating diapedesis, that is, the uptake of phagocytes into tissue beds. So they're activated and they're taken up. We've talked about that uh, some length. Remember that antigens, as I said, foreign antigens, for example, can bind directly to IgG circulating as immunoglobulin G. Complement can also bind to foreign antigens. Scavenging receptors can function at the level of an IgG Fc receptor-mediated response. You also have a complement receptor where complement is bound to uh, antigen and the antigen can bind directly to cell surface components on scavenger receptor complex, right, in such cells. Now, macrophages, also that lineage which I like to talk about, the microglia, which are in the central nervous system, have a very complex array of functions. First of all, their recognition phenomena include a series of transcription factors, growth factors, chemokines, and cytokines. So recognition can be played out by NALP3, we talked about that transcription factor, by the RAGE, or the RAGE, which can recognize A-beta protein, uh, glycosylated protein, that's why it's called the RAGE, uh, for AGE, uh, HMGB1, which we talked about recently, and S. 100B, those are all triggers for responding to the RAGE receptors. Cytokines, chemokines, receptors can also bind to various cytokines and chemokines uh, on the macrophage. You have heat shock proteins, entire apoptotic cell fragments. Again, that includes HMGB1, lineage A-beta, and even LPS that can interact on the cell surface of macrophages and microglia, with the protein CD14 in the toll-like receptor 3. A-beta-HMGB and zymazine can function at the level of toll-like receptor 2. Then you also have purinergic receptors, and those, of course, will bind to uh, ADP, ATP, UDP, and UTP. Output phenomenon from macrophage and microglia include neurotoxic and pro-inflammatory systems, neurotoxic compounds such as prostaglandin E2, glutamate can become neurotoxic at high concentrations. Of course, many of these reactive oxygen species we've been talking about. Let's see, uh, hydrogen peroxide, nitric oxide, nitrosyl radical, superoxide, these sorts of reactive oxygen species. Pro-inflammatory cytokines are also part of the output of microglia and macrophages. They include, canonically, uh, IL-1 beta, IL-6, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. Besides that output, macrophage microglia lineages can give you growth factors. That's BDNF. It's particularly significant in the central nervous system from the microglia. EGF, NGF, NT3 and 4. Uh, and for the immune regulators, you get IL-3, 3, IL-10, 12, the MCP1 protein, uh, MCSF protein, the RANTE system, and TGF beta. Not to be hindered, uh, the microglia and macrophages also involve in neurotransmission neuropeptide receptor phenomena, and these include acetylcholine, Dopamine, norepinephrine, GABA, and glutamate can all trigger macrophages and microglia, and even vasoactive intestinal peptide, bradykinin, the PACAP, and substance P proteins. There's also a semaphorin receptor, which binds to semaphorin 3A. There is a chemokine receptor called CX3CR1, which binds to CX3CL1. That would be uh, the uh, chemokine itself, bound to its own receptor. There's a CD172A, which binds to CD47, a CD200, which binds to CD200, of course. And let's see, there are also apoptotic cells, which will work through the TREM2, also found on the surface of macrophage microglia, and that's associated with phagocytosis. Remember, the macrophages can function as phagocytes, that's why they're called macrophages, and indeed, so can microglia. The PS receptor on the surface of those cells Uh, will respond to apoptotic cells and also to the lipid serine Scavenger receptors, including the CD36, will will recognize and be activating the macrophages and microglia. Those CD36 receptors include binding to free fatty acid, uh, acetylated and acylated compounds, acetylated lipid species, such as membrane rafts, uh, thrombospondin oxidize lipids, including oxysterol, which we've talked about. That's how you get foam cell production and generation of atherosclerotic plaques. The A beta protein, again, works with scavenger receptors. Uh, mass receptors will take up glycoproteins and glycolipids, to name a few uh, really important um, structures. FC receptors will pick up antibodies, and complement receptors will, of course, pick up C3B and C1Q. So that gives you now the full gambit of macrophages and microglia, which perhaps you had not heard before, right? All right. So let's move on here. Now, I want to explain to you that when you have an ischemic penumbra, which is, can occur in the central nervous system and which will involve a gradient of necrotic death of the system that was damaged because of the ischemia. Hence, that's why it's called a penumbra. So the penumbra will have an ischemic core, and that's where the necrosis will actually occur. But it, that can be, of course, linked to a cerebral artery, which can pick up then an embolus. So an embolus can occur in the bifurcation of of the median or middle cerebral artery when you have a ischemic penumbra in the central nervous system. And this can sometimes also be linked to the anterior cerebral artery, uh, giving you collateral flow into the system. Now, the embolus and the bifurcation of the middle cerebral artery, what happens here, the territory is perfused by the artery in areas with little or no collateral flow in that region. And they're subjected to hypoxia, of course, because of the uh, the distance from the collateral flow from the anterior cerebral artery, that uh, s- extreme or severe hypoxia can lead to necrotic cell death after this ischemic penumbra has been generated. Now, within the penumbra, where there is some degree of colla- there is some degree of collateral blood flow, especially on the exterior surface of the penumbra you can get a gradient of tissue perfusion, and that establishes a threshold among necrotic cell death, apoptosis, and even full tissue survival. Now, why I brought that up is to get you to understand how tissue repair that's occurring because of damage can be the same mechanism whereby Modifications of gene expression will follow suit. That means the immune system will lay the groundwork for an epigenetic alteration, typically because of DNA methyltransferases and because of the activity of histone acetyl or acyl transferases. And then on the other side of it, DNA uh, methyltransferases, which removes the methyl group. And of course, the sirtuins, which will remove acetate because they are deacetylases. And remember, there are multiple forms of those that occur subcellularly in places like the mitochondria, the nucleus, and the cytoplasm. Therefore, they all have different substrate affinities and functions, right? Remember that there's cell death involved. So caspase activation, um, upstream initiator caspases are activated during the initiation of an apoptotic event, this essentially, think of it as a cascade. Uh, these initiator caspases contain an activation or a binding pro domain, and then a large subunit, a small subunit. That's the, this is how the protein structure is laid out. And the activated upstream caspases have an autocatalytic proteolytic activity, and they, therefore they will activate downstream effector caspases which have a short prodomain, as well as large subunit and a short subunit, all of which will be manufactured because of the partial proteolytic cleavage induced by the initiator caspases. Remember, these are cysteine aspartic acid proteases. Downstream caspases, of course, are going to mediate all the classical phenomenon that will result in apoptotic cellular death. So caspases then themselves have a lineage of activation component ontogeny. Key mediators in the caspase pathway in the mitochondria include the BCL2 family of proapatotic signals, free radicals, and calcium, all working at the mitochondrial level. This will generate the apoptosis inducing factor, which will then turn on the caspase independent pathway, which is also turned on, by the way, by endonuclease G, endo G. But the more uh, classical features of this apoptotic pathway include the release of cytochrome C, the production of an apoptosome, which is cytochrome C, the APAF1 protein, as well as pro-caspase 9. All of that will be proteolytically processed in the apoptosome generating then mature caspase 9, and that caspase 9 will in turn activate caspase 3 from proteolytic processing. Caspase 3 will go on to work on programmed cell death along with the caspase independent pathway I just mentioned to you from the epitosis inducing factor or the AIF and the endonuclease G pathway. You're not done. You also have one more component of the apoptotic pathway, and that includes the SMAC-Diablo protein complexes. And what they do is inhibit caspase inhibitors, okay? Therefore, continuing the activation of caspase 9 and caspase 3. So you get the idea that this is yet another canonical signal transduction pathway, and instead of having covalent modification, you have proteolytic processing. So this has been studied in ALS, the neurodegenerative disease, disease ALS. So in a pre-symptomatic lineage, you have, of course, the the association of the ventral horn, the dorsal, dorsal horn, and then microglia, including microglia-associated, astrocyte-associated neuronal networks, right? And all that ultimately linked up to the spinal cord. So the presynaptic ALS is going to have caspase one activation in neurons, but there's never going to lead to final cell death. Uh, secondarily, though, in the early symptomatic phase of ALS, you get neuronal cell death. You get because of the activation of caspase one and three, you get of course the canonical cytochrome C release the pro apoptotic changes in the BCL2 family I was just mentioning, and then the detection of reactive astrocytes and reactive microglia, right? You're starting now to get exonal degradation or exonal loss, and you're getting, uh ALS, you're getting muscle atrophy. Ultimately, late symptomatic includes progressive neuronal cell death, progressive astroglial, and microglial, Activation, uh, which is going to be generating a pro-degeneration uh, secretion pathway, you're going to get severe axonal loss, and because of that, severe muscle atrophy or atrophy. Caspases. Remember that you have a contiguous apoptosis and cell dysfunctional pathway. So you get <clears throat> starting off with increased caspase. 1 and caspase 3, the cytochrome C release, which is going to generate more reactive oxygen, and the BCL2 changes. You're going to start synthesizing interleukin-1 beta and tumor necrosis factor alpha is going to enhance the activity here, uh, and gen- uh, the activity being apoptosis. You're going to have increased caspase 1 release. That is going to induce interleukin-1 beta and tumor necrosis factor alpha binding to the receptor increasing the amount of reactive oxygen and interleukin-1-beta and tuberculosis factor alpha, all then involved in the mass production of reactive oxygen species. So this is what we call a continuous apoptosis and cell dysfunction. So as one, like neuron, for example, proceeds through the cell death pathway, this apoptotic cascade becomes activated and you get this diffusible, Cytotoxic factors being generated, like interleukin beta, TNF alpha, the reactive oxygen we talked about. Now, all that's going to be released. All those factors will induce neighboring cells to enter into the cell death apoptotic cascade pathway. So, this has got a, a term in the older literature. They call that the kindergarten effect. That means starting out at a very early age. Of the neuron and then developing into this cascade of events causing massive neurodegeneration. So in the kindergarten level, you're getting the earliest detectable changes, uh, including things like the upregulation of caspase-1, remember that cysteine aspartic acid protease. As the neurons become further and further dysfunctional, which can happen, for example, in the aging process, neurodegeneration, they will begin to secrete the same toxic factors like cytokines Uh, and that will in turn affect surrounding healthy neurons. Ultimately, you'll reach a lethal threshold, and after that, you get multiple cell lineages dying in the brain, okay? This is one of the ways to understand the process of events during neurodegeneration. Now, I'm telling you this because, remember, I'm giving you an understanding that this process can occur throughout the lifespan, but as you get older, the functionary control over the immune response and what triggers the immune response, such as oxylipids, including oxysterols, but of course also the oxy fatty acids, the eicosanoids, right? Like the leukotrienes coming from the lipoxygenase pathway, or the prostaglandins coming from cyclooxygenase pathways, there's so at least two of those, and the P450 monooxygenase pathway. All that then leading to the pro-inflammatory cytokines. Now, again, this happens throughout life. And some of the production of all of that reactive oxygen and potentially damaging um, proteases and uh, uh, glycoproteins that will generate programmed cell death is a positive phenomenon to control potentially damaged cell lineages from reproducing. In the muscle muscle tissue or in anywhere in the body, but think about the central nervous system, because normally we think about neurodegeneration in the brain when people get older. Keep in mind that all of this functional activity is under very tight regulation, all the way from the epigenetic level and down to the metabolic biochemical pathway levels. And we lose control over these pathways, and this leads to then the ultimate senescent cell phenotype, senescence associate secretary of phenotype, which I've talked about, that leads to morbidity in the entire system, and then ultimately mortality. A lot more to say here about the immune response and epigenetics, but I'm running out of time. This is Dr. Dan Guerra. This is lecture number two on this great arc of pathway. And from Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the 19th of April, I'm saying again, bye for now.